I know I can always count on you. You're good. Front row, all the thing. You are so not Baptist. I just want you to say. <laughs> I told you the perfect Baptist church only has one row of seats, but when they fill up, it goes all the way to the forward. But there's also a trap door, so at 12 o'clock, pastor's gone, whether he's done or not. So that's good. Well, I'm excited. Again, we are wrapping up on closing in on the end of this series, Red Letter Day, and we have been taking the time to look at the last words of Jesus. Um, he, <coughs> he said so many things, so many powerful things. In fact, we talked about that last week, that um, not one word was ever wasted with Jesus. He never wasted one word. Um, but some of the most powerful things he said were when he was on that cross. And, and it, it's amazing that even in that moment, um, through all the agony and everything that he was going through, um, that he would um, still just be speaking out that truth. And, and if you if you weren't here, just to catch you up a little bit, you know, the, the, the first week we talked about, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that idea and that feeling we get sometimes that God is far off. And, and hopefully we understand that he's never far off. We just stop paying attention. Um, but he's always near. And then, and then we went into, Father, forgive them, um, for they know not what they do. And us being able to forgive, um, for us to experience, <coughs> excuse me, experience the full forgiveness of God, we have to be able to forgive others also. We need to let go because we've been forgiven. And then last week, I thirst. You know, just a simple thought that Jesus is the only thing that will quench the thirst of our life. Everything. And so today what we're going to do is, and we'll actually close this out on Good Friday. This Friday we're having a Good Friday service from 7 to 8, and we will finish it with the most powerful um, three words that have ever been said in human history. It is finished. Um, and so we will close that out, and then in Easter we're going to start. We're looking at Luke, and then we're going into Acts. By the way, if you didn't know, Luke and Acts are actually one book. And so we are going to be spending the rest of whenever um, through the book of Acts after Easter and just going through what the church was and what the church is still can be and should be and, and everything. But but this morning, we're going to be looking at um, this next statement, you will be with me in paradise. Um, what, what an awesome promise, what an awesome thing that happened um, while on that cross that even in the midst of that pain, in the midst of all the suffering they was going through, he still had compassion on those around him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23. If you don't have Bibles, we have them available for you. They're kind of scattered around. If you don't own a Bible or you're on vacation, you forgot your Bible, take one of ours. Put your name in it. You can have it. Um, that's yours. If you'd rather use an electronic device because the pages are so heavy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I like my tablet, I do, but it's something about pages and stuff. But but um, if you would rather use electronic device, we have Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, all lower caps, and you can log in right there. But as always and forever, this is the only. these are the only words that matter. Um, it's the only authority I have to speak. It's the only authority we have to be a church. Um, it's the only thing that's really important. It's the only thing that will actually change lives and bring hope are these words. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. And so out of acknowledgement of that, I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as we open up God's word this morning. And in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32, Dr. Luke writes this. He says, two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And jump down to verse 39. 
He says, one of the criminals who were hanged, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for this journey that you have brought us on over these last few weeks. God, as you have led us to the cross and leading us to an empty tomb. God, prepare our hearts. God, I, Father, every Sunday should be a celebration, Lord, of your resurrection. We serve, we follow, we know a God that is alive, that is active. God, not someone that is distant, not someone that doesn't care or is too busy to be bothered with our situation, but one that is present with us right here, right now. So God, this morning I ask that you would speak once again to us, Father, that you would challenge our hearts. God, that you would encourage us, that you would meet us where we're at, God, but move us from there. God, change us. Lord, I still don't understand how we can go to church and be in your presence and not be different once we leave. So, God, would you have your way this morning? God, would these words be your words, not mine? Hide me. What I have to say is not important, God. But would you want to say what you need to say today? God, let those words pierce the hearts. God, remove every distraction. Settle us, calm us this morning as we once again hear of your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, we ask for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and for the courage to live it out. And may you get all the glory and all the credit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this is a great story. It's one of my favorite probably stories on the cross. It's this whole idea of here's two criminals, here's two people, and we've been talking about this for weeks. And again, I don't want to get into all the gruesome details. In fact, I don't think I can describe the beating and the abuse Jesus went through. And yet in the midst of that, with the insults being hurled at him and all the beating and everything he went through, he still was thinking about those around him. I mean, just think about it. When you and I were still on his heart while he hung on that cross. He was thinking about us. And, and in the midst of that, some of the most amazing things, and we've heard them, you know, the idea of forgiving people when they had done that. Saying that I still supply your needs. I'm still the one that provides you know, everything that you thirst for. I'm still that one. I understand all that you're going through. I've lived it, and I'm here, and I'm still thinking about you. And it just it humbles me to think that Christ on that cross wasn't thinking about the nails, wasn't thinking about the whipping. He was thinking about those that were around him. And he was surrounded. You know, he, he had two people hanging up right beside him. But, but before we get into that, um, I want to talk about good people. Because most of us live, we live in a culture and a, size, and a society in, in the Western world and probably really throughout the world that it's all about being good, isn't it? 
I, I need to be, a, I'm a good person. I, I want to be a good person. If I'm a good person, good things will happen to me. And, and good things will, will, will come my way. And so I want to be a good person, and I try to be good. And, and nobody, I don't think, wants to be bad. I mean, there are a few. Uh, there were times my daughters, I'm like, what, why did the devil invade my daughters when they were little? I don't understand. <laughs> but generally, we, we generally think of ourselves as good people. You know, look at you guys all got up this morning. You came to church. You're here and, and everything, and, and, and you're out doing stuff. You're trying to help other people. So we're good people. So, so I, I don't want you to tell me. But I want you to rate yourself this morning. Out of 1 to 100, how good are you? Okay, 1 is like Adolf Hitler bad. Okay, so if there's anybody that's a 1 here, um, we just need to talk right now. Because <laughs> I'm a little nervous. But I mean, 1's really bad. 100, 100 that's, that's Jesus good. And stuff, but just just rate yourself. Maybe, maybe you're in that first kind of third, you know, that 1 to 25, first quarter. I'm 1 to 25. I'm not, not horrible. I'm not out, like, massacring a whole bunch of people, but I just, I'm really, I'm still bad. I'm a bad person. You know, or, or maybe you're that 25 to 50 saying, you know, I'm getting better. I'm not, I'm not good. 50 to 75, you know, up, up there, you know, like, I'm a really good person. I'm really nice. You know, 75, that's Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. Okay, so if there's any Mother Teresa's, Billy Graham's here, I need to step down, and you guys need to come preach. But, but, Rate yourself. And, and like I said, I, I don't want you to tell me, like, I, I'm this or that. But just think about it. Rate yourself. Because the problem is, is when we rate ourselves, when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're comparing ourselves. Aren't we? I'm better than that person. <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least I'm not that person. <laughs> they do that. Or, I mean, or the opposite is true. It's like, oh, my gosh, they're so holy. I mean, when they just open their mouth, angels sing. It's just I can never be that spiritual. And, and we rate ourselves. According to other people, don't we? I mean, there, there are two things that happen when we rate ourselves. Either, one, we do it because we want to feel better about ourselves, so we go find that crazy, insane person that's doing horrible things and saying, at least I'm not killing people. I'm, I'm better than that. Or on the other side, it, it makes us feel worse about ourselves because, like, oh, I'm just, I just don't get it. The pastor, he knows all this stuff. The pastor struggles, by the way. I just, I just want you to know. I'm not giving you my number. I'm not, because <laughs> I want to keep my job. But, <laughs> but I mean, we, we look at other people, rate ourselves, and 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 generally we think, but I'm a good person. I, I don't know how many people I talk about when I talk about like eternity and stuff like that. I says, you know, where, what do you think your life's gonna be like? Well, says, well, I'm a good person. I'm doing my best to be a good person, and, and, and that, that's, that's all that really matters. And, and in fact, um, when, when we look at who's here with Jesus, we can say, well, those weren't good people. Look at verse 32 and 33 again. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified him and the and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now, Matthew and, Matthew and I think Mark talks about like they're thieves. They're, they're, they were robbers. You know, they, they, they stole something. Here, Luke just says they're criminals. But, but the truth is, is the Romans had different ways to kill people. Crucifixion was not the only way of punishment. I know a lot of times we think like, oh, they just crucified everybody. Actually, crucifixion was saved for the worst of the worst. Crucifixion, when, when they wanted to crucify somebody, it was for two reasons. There was only two reasons. They wanted to totally humiliate somebody, 
or they wanted to put somebody through the ultimate pain because what they had done was so bad. And so I want you to picture with me right now, you have Jesus who's there who did nothing wrong. And so the, the thing was they wanted to humiliate him. The one that said that they said he is the king of the Jews in Hosanna. We see his Palm Sunday. They're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of the Jews is here. The king of the Jews is here. And so when the Romans crucified him, they just want to humiliate him and say, no, he's no king. Caesar's the king. But the other two, man, they were bad people. Horrible people that deserved whatever they did. They were getting the worst of the worst of the worst. But let's see what happens to the worst of the worst. You, you, you see, they definitely weren't good enough, were they? They, they definitely weren't like good people doing good things because they, they were getting punished. In fact, look at verse 39 again. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, I, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, here's these two guys, two horrible people that did something horrible, and they were getting punished. And yet God still, Christ still had compassion on them. See, because the truth is, is good people don't go to heaven. There are no good people in heaven whatsoever. Forgiven people go to heaven. See, we live in a culture, we live in a society that says, man, if I'm just good enough, and we, and we propagate this in our churches. You just have to be good, man. If I just show up to church enough times, if I just read enough the Bible, if I pray, if I give enough money, if I do this, and I'm a good person, my good will outweigh my bad, and then I'll get to heaven and everything. But there are no good people in heaven. Only forgiven people. None of us are good. We can't be good enough. In fact, that's, that's one of the things I love about our faith. Other than any other faith on this planet, every other faith on this planet is based on what I do in hoping that I'll be good enough. You know, they, they call it karma. They call it this. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll be um, reborn into something better and then maybe better. And as long as I'm good and I'm a decent person or if I do enough things right, the scales will balance and it's good and I'll stand before God and that big scale and he'll look there and says, okay, you're good, you're good. And I know a lot of people like that. I have a lot of friends of a lot of different faiths, and I used to love talking to them and everything. They're like, listen, I've just got to be a good person. I do this, and karma will come back. And I always ask them, how do you know when you've been good enough? We have an entire Middle East followed by the Islam culture, and it's a works religion. By the way, in Islam, the only way that you can get past that judgment is to martyr yourself. It helps us understand a little why, why a mom would say, go ahead and strap a bomb on yourself and be a suicide bomber because mom is worried about the eternal security of their kid. If they martyr themselves, they don't have to face judgment. But again, there's no good people in heaven. It, it's not how good we are. In fact, none of us are good enough. 
We all looked at God and said, I'm going to do it my way. We, we've all looked at it. And so, so if that's the case, if none of us are good enough, then, then what's the point of even coming to church? What's the point of all doing this and, and, and being a part of this? So let, let's look at the forgiven one. Let's look at the thief that is forgiven, that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So the very first thing we see is that that one, he admits that he's wrong. Look at verse 41 again. It says, in, he, he's gone, so like, don't, don't you fear God? Listen, in 41 he says, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He right away says, listen, we're getting what we deserve. He hasn't done anything. We chose this, and, and we got caught, and now this is our punishment, and this is what we deserve. And I think a lot of us, we get in the attitude and stuff because we've been in church so long, or we grew up around the church, and we've become a holy huddle. <laughs> it's like this little holy bubble is around us, and we're like, I'm perfect, angels sing, oh, and it's all pretty and everything, but we do things wrong. I just got a couple questions. And I don't want. I don't want you to. I don't want you to answer. Has anyone ever lied before? Has anyone ever lied before? So what's that make you if you've lied before? You're a liar. <laughs> Sorry, you're a liar. Ha has anyone ever stolen anything before? Listen, when I was a kid, I will admit, I'll confess, yes, I did. I got caught and scared the snot out of me. But has anybody ever stolen anything? Has anybody ever borrowed without asking? <laughs> you know, saying it's better to ask forgiveness than permission, not if you're my kid. <laughs> <laughs> because that's stealing. Have you ever stolen before? And by the way, I know this is really, this is just, eh, listen, my, my Bible says that God gives us everything, and if we don't give back to God a portion of that, then we're stealing from God. So if you don't tithe, if you don't do that, the Bible says that you're stealing from God. I, I'm not putting a guilt trip on you because we have a build fund or any of that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just telling you what Scripture says. See, someone's like, I've never stolen anything. I says, well, have you ever given back to God what portion of what? No, then you're stealing from God. And if you've stolen, then you're a thief. What about this? Have you ever looked at anything lustfully? Ladies, guys, have you ever looked at somebody else and said, hmm. Jesus said that if we look on someone else, if we look on a woman as men, if we look on a woman lustfully, then we've committed adultery. How about this? Have you ever put something ahead of God? Has anything ever become more important to you than God? your job, your car, your family. That's an idol. That's idolatry. See, see, the problem is, is that we all aren't good enough. And even if it's only one time, it, it, it's not good enough. Because this, look, look at what, um, <coughs> look what James says. James says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. I mean, th this, 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 this is hard. 
but I, I just I just I want you to understand as we're going into Easter what Easter means. See, because I think we fly through Easter so often. I think we fly through the cross and we just like, yeah, Jesus died for me. That's awesome. And then we get to Easter and we forget why he died. See, God created us to be perfect. We were at one time. We were in perfect relationship with God, perfect relation with his creation, perfect relation with each other. We were perfect. We chose to walk away from that. We chose to say, God, I'd rather do it my way. God's standard has never changed. Do you know that? I know we're called Grace Baptist, and I love grace because I've had and received so much grace in my life from God and from my wife and from my kids and from so many people. I've received so much grace in my life, but that doesn't change the fact that God's standard has always been, I made you perfect, you must be perfect. But you and I can't do that, can we? That's why the cross is so special. That's why the resurrection gives us so much hope, because somebody else was. Only person to ever walk on this planet that didn't break one of the laws. I mean, think about it. Think about the stories. Think about what happened. Think about when Jesus got baptized. The God, the Son, the creator of everything. Is that anyone that needs to get baptized? <laughs> I mean, is that someone that needs to get dunked and stuff by someone else, by his own creation? And yet he says, I do this to fulfill all what is required. Jesus fulfilled all of it because you and I can't. See, we're, we're not good enough, even if it's just one. You know, there, there's an old illustration of stuff where like nice clean bottle of water and everything like oh, I want to drink it and if I get some raw sewage and put just one drop in it are you still going to sit there and go like yummy <laughs> if you are then we need to have a discussion because <laughs> I need to talk about your hygiene practices because that's just gross but it just takes one thing to ruin spoil the whole thing and that's what's happened to us and so this thief this criminal on the cross he admits he's like we're getting what we deserve I'm wrong. Two of the hardest words to say in our culture. I'm wrong. Because we're raised to be proud. I'm not wrong. You just don't see it from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, you don't understand. I'm not wrong. I'm different. No, <laughs> we're wrong. A and so we have to we have to look at that. And so, but it doesn't end there. So we admit we're wrong. We admit like, okay, I can't fix this. I, I get what I deserve. Look what, the other, look what the other criminal does. He asks for eternal help. If you know you can't fix your problem, if you know you can't like solve your issue, if you know that you can't cover the one thing or the million things that you've done wrong, that you can't take care of that, then why go to someone else that has the same problems? Go to the one person that never did anything wrong. And this criminal on a cross, beaten and bloody and abused, looking over and seeing the same thing in Jesus, recognized that there was something different, that this man has done nothing wrong. He's perfect. He's the only one ever to be perfect. Look at verse 42 and 43. And he realizes that and he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, he knew who to ask. He looked over as disfigured and bloody Jesus was. He looked over and could see. He says, no, there's something. he's done nothing wrong. He's perfect. And so I'm going to ask him. He is who he said he is. I'm going to ask him. I can't fix my problem, but Jesus, can you fix it? Can you remember me? And at that moment, Jesus looks back over him and says, yes, today. Not, not okay, after you join a church and you spend some time in discipleship studies, you get baptized and all these other things, then you'll be, he says, today. Day you'll be with me in paradise. Can I tell you something? Any church that teaches Jesus and something is not the church of God. It is Jesus and it is Jesus only, and He is the one that says, Today you're different. Today you're changed. Today. It doesn't take anything else. All those things are important. All those things are good. Be part of a local body. Be part of a church. Be serving, using your gifts. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. We're following Jesus' example. None of that that saves us. The only thing that saves us and changes us and brings us into paradise is Jesus. It's the only thing. And he knew who to ask. The other criminal, he asked for help too, didn't he? They both asked for help. Look back at verse 39. This is one of the criminals who hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save yourself. Save me. Get me off this cross. And unfortunately, so many times we approach Jesus like that, don't we? I know so many people, well, I've asked Jesus to fix my finances. I asked Jesus to fix my family or to heal my family member or my friend. I asked Jesus to give me a really good life, and I asked him for that. We ask him all that, but we don't know him yet. We live in a society as people like, oh, I asked Jesus for all kinds of things. But have you asked him to forgive you first? Have you asked him to come into your life? Have you asked him to, to make transform you into what you're supposed to be? That's why Jesus said way back on the Sermon on the Mount, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then <coughs> all these things will be added to you. But I hear so many people that I talk to all the time says, well, I ask God to bless me. I'm like, yeah, well, 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 how are you serving him? Oh, no, I don't go to church. What do you do on Sundays? Well, I usually have a hangover because I've been out partying all the time. But I ask God to bless me. It reminds me of high school students going into the final exam. I prayed to God that I would pass and ace this exam, and they would come to youth the next night. Like, how did you do on the exam? I didn't do well. God just didn't answer my prayer. I'm like, did you study? No, I asked God. <laughs> and in the most loving way I could, I looked at him and said, you're a moron. <laughs> God is not some 24-hour Walmart that we can just go in like, I need some milk. <laughs> God, just give me what I want, what I need right now, but I'm not going to do what you ask of me. See, that's the other criminal. It's like, hey, save me. If you're so big, if you're who you say you are, aren't you the Christ? Then get me down from this cross. Save yourself. Let's get out of here. Let's go party. The other thief looked at Jesus and saw the difference and said, I'm wrong, and you're the only one that can fix it. Isn't it amazing, too, that that other thief, he had nothing to offer Jesus. 
Have you ever bargained with God? You kind of like bargain, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. <laughs> it's like God's going like, I've been needing someone to do that for centuries. That's all, finally. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is the God that spoke the universe into existence. God didn't get his hands dirty until he made you and me. Everything else he spoke into existence. Isn't that amazing? That the only time God got his hands dirty is when he made you and me, that he actually got his hands involved into it. But we, we, we like to barter with God, don't we? Like, God, if you do this, uh, I'll do that. This, this thief had nothing. What was he going to offer him? Like, like, Jesus, I'll try to lean and block the sun a little bit off your face, but I'm kind of stuck on this cross too. He had nothing to offer him, yet Jesus looked down and says, today. You'll be with me in paradise. You and I have nothing to offer. And when we understand that and we know that, everything can change for us. That's why I'm always telling you, go tell the gospel. Go share that story with people. Cast that seed. Pass it out. Keep doing it. Don't worry what happens. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary from a foreign field. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be obedient and turn to Christ and trust him with the outcome. Don't barter with him. Don't think that you have anything that God needs or offers. All he wants is you. And he can't have you until we look at him and say, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Church, I put to you this morning that we are the two thieves. The question is, is which one are you? Which, which one? Which thief are you? Are you the one that's trying to barter with God or are you the one that says, I can't do this? So Paul writes in Romans 3, he says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Can I just tell you something? If you are trying to earn... God's favor, if you're just trying to be a good enough person, it's got to be exhausting. You'll never be good enough. Paul writes later uh, over in Romans, for all have sinned. That our righteousness is like filthy rags in front of God. That there's nothing we have to offer Him except admitting that we were wrong. Listen, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church or how much money you give or, or how many times you've read through the Bible or who you think you're better than or who you think you're worse than. None of that matters. The truth is, is the law doesn't save anybody. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And I think the hardest thing in our culture to admit, especially as a guy, is there's something that I can't fix. And that's me. I resonate with Paul when he says, among sinners, I am a chief. I know my life. I know the grace that's required in my life. 
I don't know, there's nothing that's going to do that's going to make me a better husband or a better father or a better pastor or any of those things. The only thing that's going to that's going to change me and make me better is Jesus because I can't do it myself. If you're just going through life just saying, but I'm a good person, it's not enough. Because we're never, ever good enough. I love, one, one of my favorite people today is Ravi Zacharias. He's a, he's a great apologist. I love that he says, he says, one of the most staggering truths of the scriptures is to understand that we do not earn our way to heaven. Works have a place, but as a demonstration of having received God's forgiveness, not as a badge of merit of having earned it. I want to tell you something. Works have a place. If you're in love with Jesus and Jesus is in love with you and you know him, then you should be serving him with everything you have. You should be the most generous person, the most working person, the most heartfelt person, the most compassionate person around. That, that should have transformed you into someone that is serving other people and giving himself away. But we do that because Jesus saved us, not because we hope that our works will save us. Forgiveness, grace is what changes us. Our works are evidence of the grace that we've already been given. That's what Easter's about. That's what this whole time, that's why we come to church, because we've been changed. I love it. That's what I love about the church. We're all on common ground. We all need a Savior. There's no one in here, no one on this planet that doesn't need a Savior. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account or what kind of job or where you're from, your culture, any of that stuff. None of that matters. It's all the same thing. We all need a Savior, and it's Jesus. It ties us together, and because of that, because he can bring us together like that, we can go and change the world. We can do amazing things and see hope and life come into this world. But it always starts with Jesus, not with what can I do. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross, the criminal, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Good news this morning is you don't have to fix anything in your life. You don't have to straighten yourself up. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do anything extra. You just have to turn to God and say, I'm wrong. Remember, there are no good people in heaven, only forgiven people. And God is waiting anxiously to offer that to every single one of us, to every person out there. See, I, I believe with all my heart that every person on this planet, every person in four corners, deserves a chance to hear the gospel and make up their own mind. I can't make up their mind for them, but they deserve to hear that forgiveness, that grace, that hope is available. But it starts by us saying, oh, but I'm wrong. I can't do this on my own. That's Easter. Could you imagine that Easter morning for that thief? That that day, he didn't have to wait three days. Easter began the moment he breathed his last breath. That today he was with him in paradise. That's what Easter is about. That's 
example God offers us every day. Which thief are you? Let's pray.